It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Jeremy, what are we going to talk about today? So we have found, we found an article from the uh, HuffPost.com, five accidentally manipulative things you say at work. Figured this would be a fairly fun topic to talk about. The uh, underscore here is these words can subtly influence people into doing what coworkers and bosses want. The article is written by Monica Torres and was published November of 2021. So it's a recent article. We can get into it. So the first thing, according, according to Monica here, the first thing that we say that is a little bit manipulative is we all think dot, dot, dot. And I'm going to read a little bit here. It can be easy to fall into the false consensus trap when you're working alongside people that you like and have many things in common with. Where this can be dangerous is if you're making assumptions about what your team wants or likes because it's your personal preference, Johnson said. For example, a leader might think his or her team likes working remotely, but until they actually pulse their team, it could be a false assumption. So really, it's uh, we've talked about this before in terms of one or a few people who are very loud about something can make it seem like there's a lot of people. And we've referenced before wars in the days of old, where you might have uh, somebody surrounded. Uh, you, you have a, uh, a war team. What? Where's my mind? It's not a war team. While your <laughs> opponent is surrounding you. And let's say they have a hundred people up on the hills, but they're making a lot of noise. You might think they have a thousand people. Maybe there's a thousand people in the enemy, but they're making a lot of noise. So simply using the term we all think or everyone thinks kind of parallels that and can be a little bit manipulative. According to the author of this article, Sarah, what say you? Well, I think I'm one of those loud voices, Jeremy. (laughs) 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 I have a tendency to get my way. No, but in all seriousness, um, it really is how it works, isn't it? Um, Those who speak up first tend to get heard first, right? And so um, one of the best ways 
for leaders to make sure that they are in fact making decisions based on what their team really and truly wants is through the use of um, 360 feedbacks. Um, it doesn't always have to be an assessment. It always doesn't always have to be super in-depth, um, but it can just be establishing that feedback loop um, and that behavior within the office. So asking questions um, with the intention of getting honest answers. And the best way to go about doing that is for the leader actually not to be the one asking the question. Um, usually that can be done by someone who's going to be reporting back to the team Uh kind of think of it like when we were in grade school, like line leader, right? So have someone who's nominated to kind of vo uh, vocalize uh, the, the group's ideas on things um, to the leadership, just so that uh, the levels of hierarchy are not influencing the, the answers that we're getting, right? Yeah. And Tom, we, we had a, a virtual communication mastery event this week where we talked, or last week, I'm sorry, where we talked about social peer or peer pressure in the workplace. And that's that amounts to that what this is, especially when you're doing it here in a group setting. It's really a little bit pushy. And doesn't doesn't it seem pushy, Tom? You know, if, <laughs> if somebody says we all think and then you dissent, then you are now what the outcast of the group? Well, to start with, what's what's wrong with me getting my way? Um, <laughs> you know, especially in, in leadership and yeah, okay, sorry. Um, is it pushy? Sure. Um but if you're a dissenter, it gives you an opportunity to stand out. I mean, that, you know, that's my take. And if I'm the one who's standing out, I, I hopefully will get a chance to actually speak on the issue. Um, so I'm always looking for opportunities. Um, but if it's so easy to control people, it's so easy to manipulate people. Uh, let's be totally honest. I mean, you know, both you and Sarah with your backgrounds and, you know, I'm an actor, so I fool people all the time. Uh, and it's, it's hard sometimes, but also I think we need to make a distinction between a little story, teaching acting students, a student will come up to me as I'm coaching them in a dramatic scene and I'm giving them advice. I'm trying to get them psychologically, you know, set. And then afterwards, they'll come and go, well, you were, you were manipulating me, right? Mm -hmm. And my response will be, yes, I was manipulating you 100%. And there's a difference between manipulating somebody for your own benefit and manipulating people for their benefit. Mm -hmm. At least that's my thought. <laughs> so why can't I use that manipulation? in the business world if I'm actually moving my team to a successful conclusion. That, that's interesting. So when when I when I look at this, I, th I think of two things. And to your point first, yes, some things can be manipulative, but can't anything be manipulative if used the wrong way? I like to think about it as leading a conversation to a place better than where it's headed. But that's if you're purposefully not being manipulative, you know, being ethical, being a genuine person and actually trying to help other people. Yes, there are things that can be manipulative, but if you're using a, a good communication technique, meaning an effective one that can be used manipul manipulatively. Wow, we picked a long word for this. <laughs> that can be used manipulatively. Lee, uh, Jeremy. there it is. Say it five times. I provide coaching, uh, Jeremy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's leading, it's helping to lead a conversation to a place better than, than it is. And when you look at this, so I look at this too, and I think the people who are saying this, they may 
be, it may be a natural thing that they're doing because they're naturally manipulative, but they also might believe it themselves. Mm -hmm. So if they're thinking, everyone thinks like this, or I'm not the only one who feels this way. Think of how many, no matter, so you're listening to this, or you're watching what we're talking about today. Think about the profession that you're in. Do you not assume that people know more about your profession than they actually do? Do you not assume that a, that a good percentage of what you do and what you know and what you believe is common knowledge? So that's a fallacy that we have extending that to other people. And those in the workplace who are saying these type of things, like everybody thinks this, or I'm not the only one who feels that way, may actually believe it. So we can't, I don't believe that we can uh, assign them, well, maybe in most cases, if we're working in the real world, right? But in a lot, in some cases, we do have to be mindful of maybe they just believe that maybe they've heard something and it was miscommunicated to, to them, or maybe they are trying to manipulate. So there, there's different ways. It's again, using, uh, putting a space in between what we hear and, and then uh, the response that we give. You stole my answer, Jeremy. So I was going to say the road to hell is paved with good intention, right? <laughs> so we could have the best of intent when we are, you know, leading a team and the like, but if we're not consciously checking in and creating space, that's the thing. It's like, we, we live in a culture of productivity, productivity, productivity. I mean, that's every leader I work with. How can I get my team to be more productive? Well, let's find out why they're not being productive in the first place. Hmm, question, right? Because humans, generally speaking, when we are in the best environment and we're being nurtured and we have the freedom we need to create, we are productive little beasts. But when we are being mismanaged or micromanaged or not given creative freedom, sometimes if that's something that we, you know, drive value from, then we could kind of rest on our laurels a little bit. Well, with that in mind, let me ask you, Sarah, because, you know, real life situation, I'm going to be talking to a group of downtown business people, and the conversation is going to be on how do we reinvigorate the downtown core using arts and culture. Mm. Now, it's really easy for me or would be really easy to go into that meeting. I'm the knowledge keeper. I'm the one, you know, who's going to be seen as the expert in the room who has a lot to say. But ultimately, if I'm going to help this group, I need to hear their voice. I need to make sure that it's that I have a really clear vision of what they see as art and cultures, what they believe would be effective in their downtown core. So how do I have that conversation with them and not take control of the room, not just what a great opportunity for me to hear my own voice? Uh, How do I really get them to open up and use their voices so that I, I'm not manipulating a conversation. I mean, to some extent, I'm going to have to leave the conversation, which you could look at it as manipulating it, but I don't want to shut them down. I want to hear their voices. So what's the best approach for that? Sitting there thinking, and, you know, I think going into the conversation, leaders have a tendency to want to speak first. Um, I think maybe you flip the script a little bit. So that's an opportunity to introduce yourself, um, express your curiosity for the vision, the shared vision of the group, allow them to present um, 
and then just be very clear that there is an end goal of X, Y, Z. So, so what is the, the end goal of, of this group coming together? What is the, what is it that you're trying to achieve exactly? They're looking at how do they bring culture into the downtown core street performers, musicians. Do we need an art gallery, perhaps a little theater space? So there's all these possibilities and they want to use it to invigorate tourism and bring tourism. more people into the downtown core. Got it. So you're, you're trying to get more bodies to the downtown area and you're trying to like essentially drum up like an economic storm in that area by getting more people in there and you you're going to use the arts to attract that attention. Right. So leading the conversation, I would say, hi, my name is Tom Bradshaw. I'm here because I am curious about the vision that we're going to be creating together. This is our ultimate end goal to create a storm of influence in the downtown area. And I would like to hear how each one of you is going to help us do that. Then wait, let them present their information. And then you come in as the expert and wrap that all up into a nice present and give it right back to them. Sold. <laughs> yeah. And to, to add, add right onto what Sarah was doing, if you can do a little research uh, ahead of time, even to learn one thing about them, or just simply go around the room and say, what, what are some, what's something you're good at? That way, you know, that way, even off right off the bat, you can say, you know, so-and-so you're really good at X, Y, Z. I'm really interested in your perspective on X here. And then just go, go around the table. It works if it's not a hundred people. It works better if it's a couple people, but that way they are immediately drawn in and they understand why it's kind of like, if you have kids, it's, it's not effective to say you're awesome. You're great. You got to tell them what they're awesome at. That's how you build confidence and how you build specific connections in their brain. You're, you're awesome because I love how you're polite during interactions when it's not ex expected, whatever it may be. Um, so there's uh, some specific things that, that can be used there. Yeah. And establishing psychological safety is important to Tom. So when you enter the room, making sure that you're not just perceived as the person in charge. Um, so making sure you do some kind of icebreaker and you're so good at that. Like you're good at warming people up. So get them nice and warm, tell them your objective and then let them talk. Let people love to talk about themselves. It's their favorite thing to do. And for everyone else out there too, the bottom line is be explicit and it doesn't take more than two sentences. Uh, for example, I sent an email out to my team last week and I said, I'm always open to feedback, but I went past that because that's just a, okay. I went further and I said, I'm especially open to the uncomfortable kind. And then I said, here's how you can provide me with uncomfortable uh, feedback. You can simply say, Hey, Jeremy, this might be some funky feedback. Want to hear? So that gives people, it's it's like a, a weight off of people because they say, okay, I can come to this person with uncomfortable feedback, but then there's the how. So if you can give them the how, and that's in two sentences. So I think it, it, everyone out there, we can we can help each other out if we're just a little more explicit uh, about what exactly we want, what's okay. And that can help, had, again, lead conversations to a place better than, than where they're heading. Excellent. Thank you. Um, let me ask you one more question, uh, because when we look at the numbers, <laughs> we find that narcissists, there's three jobs which they're drawn to. One is actors, met a lot of them. The other is judges. And the third is CEOs, that they're corporate leaders. How do we get through if we have a leader who's manipulating all the time? 
you play you play their own game with them. I, I knew Sarah. I knew you were gonna take this one. Keep going. I want to hear this. You're gonna play. You're gonna play the game with them. So here's the thing. And Jeremy probably does a little of this too. But those of us that are involved in psychology tend Ooh. to understand the dark arts as well as the expressive arts <laughs> and the 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 helpful side of psychology. So there is a whole. Uh, genre of psychology referred to as dark psychology. And it, it deals with this sort of thing. It deals with manipulation. It deals with uh, something that is not necessarily uh, very validated within the community, but something called neuro-linguistic programming, right? So there's certain ways that we can go about uh, formulating our sentences to actually get people to respond the way that we want them to. Um, our, our military is fantastic at using you know, this type of thing quite frequently. Um, so it really just determined, it's determined by the level of the objective. So are you trying to beat the narcissist at their own game? Or are you trying to lead the narcissist to the ultimate end goal for their community or their team? I don't think a narcissist can ever be reformed. There are people in the world that believe that that is possible. If you ask a narcissist themselves, they will tell you it is not um, so I tend to believe the narcissist on that one thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I would answer that question. Jeremy, I'm curious as to how you would, you would approach the, uh, the whole leading a narcissist thing. That is a conversation that I have not gotten into and I probably shouldn't start now. <laughs> I'm going to pass. Yeah. You're going to pass. I am going to It's pass. hard, you know, but dealing, you know, with our line of work, we have to interface with them quite frequently, right? And so when we, I can say when I have interfaced with a narcissist, it's very apparent to me when I meet them. So I'm a very empathic individual and it's almost like I attract these type of people to me. Um, I'm like, they're like moths to my flame, okay? They can sense that I have stuff to give them and they just want to bleed me dry, right? But as an empowered, empathetic person, I understand that it is my choice to engage with them. And so I set that very clear boundary right from the very beginning. And so um, one thing that is scary to a narcissist is that you will unveil them to everyone else. So I find that a way to establish psychological safety, even with the narcissist, is to let them know that you will not, you're not going to rat on them. Basically, you're not going to tell everyone that they're manipulating everyone. So I will share before we end this one, I will share. So I probably do it under the guise of something that's not someone that's not referred to as, as a narcissist. Here's how I here's I'll share. Here's how I deal. I put everything back. I, I, I only re, I only state what they state. I know this is going to sound odd, but this is to be elaborated maybe on an, on another time. Mm-hmm. I work with questioning. And I question in a manner to get not to to be manipulative, but I question in a manner in, in a manner to lead a positive conversation, and then I rephrase and restate, and then I'll rephrase differently a particular question to dig deeper. But I ne- I rarely ever um, say anything that they haven't said. Be- it, but it's it's a it's a dance. It's a, it's a very good dance. But it helps. It helps them. And again, my my goal is usually how can I do something that they will appreciate. My it, it helps them because it helps them to dive a little deeper, see from a different perspective, their own perspective. 
But then at the same time, I don't fall victim to the, the narcissism because I'm simply often repeating and helping out that particular individual. Jeremy, that's so helpful for someone like me. That is, that's a very helpful advice because, you know, even though I've set very clear boundaries in the beginning, it's very easy to get sucked into the narcissist vacuum, right? Because they're, they're great at mirroring. They're great at understanding exactly what you need and exactly what you want to hear. And they will tell it to you over and over again, just so you keep coming back for more. Right. Um, so it, I think it's appropriate um, for practitioners, though, to understand that they will, in fact, cross paths with a narcissist and they're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to do business with them or am I going to deny doing business with them? And actually, nine times out of 10, I would deny 100 percent. I would. However, there are times when narcissists are charged with leading very important initiatives very important, like to the point where you understand the livelihood of maybe hundreds of people are involved. And so then you ask yourself the question as a practitioner, am I more interested in protecting myself at this point in my time? Or do I want to take this on even in the short term to entertain whether or not I can get this narcissist to at least empower some of his people or her people, um, a little bit more effectively than they have been? What kind of systems can I put in place that will not only appeal to the narcissist and their level of control, but also empower their people at the same time? And that is possible. Beautiful way to end it. Empower. It's like flying a plane. We go high, we go low, we go to dark psychology, we go to narcissism, and we fly that plane back up over the mountains into empowerment and how to do it. So we get into the action items. We might have to do a part two on this. We'll see you next time. Closing out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.